0: Hi there, I'm Jennifer Stewart. And I'm Catherine Clark. And we're so glad that you're joining us today for The Honest Talk.
1: We're excited to be bringing you conversations with some of North America's most inspiring women, and we are thrilled to be partnering with RBC as we do so.
0: This podcast is about leaving behind the talking points and diving into the real, authentic, and unique personal stories of our guests. Stories which we hope might influence or inspire your own journeys. So
1: let's get right to it.
0: If you are looking for the most up-to-date news on what's happening in Canadian politics, chances are you'll turn to Vashi Kapalos. Formerly the host of CBC's flagship TV show, Power and Politics, Vashi recently announced that she's making a big switch next month. She's heading to CTV as yes, that network's chief political correspondent, where she'll also serve as host of CTV's daily marquee political program, Power Play, host of their weekly flagship political show, Question Period. And she'll be hosting a new iHeart radio show called The Vashi Capello Show.
1: And while Vashi may be one of Canada's most well known political journalists, she's also one of the most liked people in the media industry. When you talk to Vashi's colleagues about her, they use a lot of superlatives, words like kind, thoughtful, generous. And so while we're excited to dive into her big career change, we're also looking forward to exploring that other side of Vashi today the off screen Vashi, the Vashi who is a new mom and a stepmom the Vashi who likes to bake and watch TV and Vashi, I'm told avoid exercise. (laughs) Very true. Okay, good. We needed to confirm that. Really thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. I know how busy it is for you right now. So thank you so much for making the time.
2: It's my total pleasure. I'm huge fans of both of you as well. So thank you very much for the invitation. So
1: first of all, huge congratulations on your new role with CTV. How are you
2: feeling? Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I think I'm feeling uh, better than I was a few days ago when I sort of had to you know, make the decision and then communicate it to the people I work with at CBC because I've had such a wonderful experience there and with the show on PNP. So that was a struggle for me. Um, And then as soon as that was done, I definitely felt like 10,000 pounds off my shoulders. Yeah, a lot of relief. And then since then, I've just sort of... um, I have a few mentors who have told me like, you know, these are once in a career kind of moments. And so try to not be stressed out during them and enjoy them. And I think to a certain degree, I've definitely tried to do that. I've definitely tried to, and I hope I've achieved a little bit. I'm happy and I'm excited and I'm still a bit melancholy about leaving.
0: Well, it's really hard to leave a team behind. And I think one of the things that we don't think about so much in a job transition is the fact that there's the job, but then there's also the team that surrounds you. So... I can understand the melancholy part. I can understand also that once in a lifetime career opportunity. So how did that factor in to your decision? What made you decide that this was the right time for this kind of career move?
2: I mean, I think to be honest, I wasn't even thinking about it. It's sort of like when people are are like, oh, you're, you know, you're in your 30s and you're a woman and you're like, why am I not getting married? Everyone's like, just don't think about it. And the right guy will come along. (laughs) Like I had really not been thinking about next steps. I just, as Jennifer said, I had a baby nearly 18 months ago. I was kind of navigating coming back onto the show since February and balancing like all my ambition at CBC with. Uh, trying to, you know, not be a failure <laughs> home and also spend time with my son, which I really enjoy. And so like, it was just nowhere in my mind, obviously I have long-term goals and aspirations, but like, it just wasn't uh, something I was thinking about at, at this point in my life. Um, and so really the opportunity kind of happened to me, uh, they approached me and, uh, you know, I just sought counsel from a lot of people whom uh, I have trusted over the years. Not a lot of people, a few people, I should say chief among them, my dad, uh, probably. And I, 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 you know, to them, it seemed very obvious initially. And I was more hesitant because I'm so attached to, I was so attached to the show. uh, It had taken me a long time to kind of make it uh, how you would say, like, make it my own. And I was enjoying it so much. And so I was, Nervous and hesitant, like, and and you know, like my dad and a couple other people sort of said, you can't predict when this stuff will happen, and so sometimes you just have to seize it. And then over time, that became really evident to me. And I'm just essentially that's it. Like I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't thinking about the next step of my career right now. um, But I'm. I feel really fortunate that the opportunity came before me and that I did ultimately decide to take the risk versus. Uh, stay where I knew I was happy and comfortable.
1: (laughs) They're so fortunate to have you. And I know I'm like this, if something becomes, and I'm not saying this was your um, experience, but if something becomes complacent, or it's easy for me to do, I start looking for the next thing. Like I kind of thrive off that feeling in my belly when something is a bit nerve wracking or a new opportunity, or particularly as a woman, an opportunity to prove yourself. Would you say you're like that as well?
2: I think to, to a degree I am for sure. I just never, I, I I would say in this instance, like I wasn't feeling like it was easy. Um, the show is a challenge every day. What it did feel was like good. Like in the first few years I did it, I was so, um, I just, it was such a tough transition for me. And, uh, I was also kind of overcome by the voices from outside and I did, I hadn't really learned how to filter all that out. So like, In the last few years, through my pregnancy, and when I came back from my mat leave, I just felt like it was a different job. It was so enjoyable. And so I never really felt it was easy, but I did feel it it was enjoyable. And I liked going to work quite a bit. But I think in general, yes. I mean, I I think I always knew from the initial time. I, I mean, when they first called me, I called my husband after kind of crying. And she's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm not sad. I just it was like an emotional reaction to the fact that I knew my own personality yeah. was if a giant opportunity presents itself, like usually I'm going to go for it. And, and I, am, I, I am a risk taker, even though I don't actually think of myself like that. And I, I kept asking myself and, and various people in my life who I confided and said, like, how would you feel if somebody else did it, right? And then every time I asked myself that, yeah, it's a really good question to ask if you're like struggling. Every time I asked myself that, I was like, oh my God, I would be devastated if I saw somebody else doing it (laughs) Um, after I knew that I had the chance. And like, I've never really actually erred on the side of when I have the choice between those two things, staying where, staying in the, the position I'm in. Not that I've had a huge amount of these, but certainly in the last few instances. And so... I think ultimately that's what kind of pushed me over the edge, but I'm not sure if in general, I'm always like, Oh, I'm comfortable. Now it's time to move on. Like I said, I was still, I was kind of still uncomfortable in balancing it with my home life. So I didn't totally feel comfortable at that point.
0: You talked about your dad and um, turning to him for his advice too. Can you talk to us a little bit about your influences growing up? You also talked about being a risk taker and, I'm really curious if you were a risk taker as a kid too. So talk to us a little bit about influences on your life growing up and what you remember about, about being a little girl and what you wanted to be.
2: Well, I'm sure you can relate that, um, my my chief influences, my my biggest influences are my parents by a million zillion miles. Um, my parents uh, met in politics, and they they didn't have careers in politics. My dad's a lawyer, my mom worked with him, um, but their interest in politics was like huge throughout my entire childhood. And so, uh, yes, I remember. I mean, my parents were incredibly hard workers. My dad's self employed. Uh, he was from the age of twenty three huge risk takers like um you know buying real estate the recession happens stores leave the places that we had so we start our own grocery store like i have a million experiences like that and we were and this might be sort of endemic to the greek culture but we were like a part of all of it so you know as in some families it's like oh the parents deal with stuff that's going on or stresses and the kids kind of live this bliss free life that was not our life. We were involved in like, I would design the logo at, you know, 12 years old for the grocery store, or I would work there every summer at 13. I would manage the grocery store while the manager went on summer vacation for, for two years. Like we were sort of the, the work ethic and that, uh, I don't, I guess risk-taking or entrepreneurial spirit maybe in some cases was, was certainly like part of our upbringing and is, it is like a part of who I am. And I don't, you know, I think there are other influences in my life for sure from the outside, but none more so than my parents and mostly through, you know, we were a really close family, but my parents worked a lot, uh, but they spent the time they didn't work with us all the time. And so we just talked all the time and also the example they provided right through all the challenges they faced and the ways in which they overcame them and the degree to which they worked hard. And, my dad is seventy-five now, and he still works seventy hours a week. He still works full-time as a lawyer, employing an entire staff of people that he has since he was twenty-three. Oh my so, gosh! So, and he, you know, built his practice over the years, obviously as well. But like, he's just—he's um, he's like a, a force, right? And, yeah. and so, my mom was the same. My mom passed away, but but she was the exact same way. Like, they just—I—I I would say in my normal life, I don't know if I can say it like they have balls, right? And, yeah,
0: yeah, you can and say I, I know
2: that's like, yeah. it's not, you're not supposed to say things like that. I don't mean it in the, in the, I mean it in the most positive way. And they have guts, right? They, they yeah. had guts always. And, um, and I, uh, for me, that's like the most, uh, it, that's certainly like the example of that. I internalize, I don't always reach that potential. I'm not always as gutsy as they were, but it's like who I am because of them.
1: Well, your parents created a force. And I often think about this from a parenting style that uh, there's a bit of this notion and you touched upon it to coddle your children and to protect them from all the elements. But I think it's so important to teach them resilience and to see if you choose to be a working parent, to see people working and to see you hustling and achieving your dreams and having like you a a national platform, which is just exceptional. So going back to being um, a child, Uh, Obviously the work ethic was instilled in you by your parents, the resilience, but where did the
2: love for politics come from? It came from them too. Wow. So that, yeah, very much so like they, yeah, that's what I mean. They're really definitely influential. Like I said, they met through politics and they met a bit later at that point than most people would like they didn't get married until they were 32 and 33 they didn't start having my I have two younger sisters as well so my mom was like 35 37 and 40 when she had us so they had fully developed careers and you know passed before they met and so they uh they truly like bonded over their interest in politics and then that was certainly passed on to us and they also it wasn't just politics Like that's one way to put it but And I'm sure maybe you guys can relate, but, but also like a, a need and a desire to consume current affairs and to be aware of what's going on in your city, like in your country, in the world. Like we had newspapers back when newspapers were delivered, we had like three delivered a day and then four on Sunday. And they read them all the time. Like my parents worked so many hours and their day still started with the paper or ended when my dad got home at 11 at night, like the star was on the table. My mom would leave it on the table for, for him (laughs) to read. So, um, so it, it, c- certainly, like politics was the focus of debate, but we were always um, shown again by example that like a a need and a desire to know what's going on in the world is a good thing. That you should like the idea that you wouldn't want to be informed, that you'd want to like be like, oh, I don't want it's too negative out there, whatever. Was like I wouldn't even think of it. So my parents always used to tell people the story that you know they were looking for me when I was six years old and they couldn't find me. And all of a sudden one of the bathroom doors was, I was like sitting on the toilet with the star reading the star at six (laughs) years old. And it's so corny, but it, like it actually happened because that's, that's, I can remember I used to read, I used to read the sport, like the sports section too. They would read like, it, it, it it sort of was like, you would never be caught. It was a real skill of my dad's, especially uh, that he developed through, you know, trying to build his clientele, right? Like being able to talk about anything. Oh, you're from this country. Like I know the history is a real love of history as well. And so we just, that sort of level of wanting to be informed and interested in current affairs, again, passed down by example. And then like politics was the subject. Greeks, are, Greeks and Germans, my mom is German, are, are not like cautious about how they talk about politics. You can't really offend each other. And so that certainly permeated my childhood as well.
0: Did you ever consider running instead of reporting?
2: Uh, no, not really. I knew I would do something. So I, I, I don't know if even I i didn't. I'm not sort of someone who grew up thinking I would report or be a journalist. I always had an interest in politics. So I, I pursued it in undergrad and graduate. But I didn't really know exactly what I would do with it. Um, and then once I decided to go into journalism, I kind of ruled that out. Um, for me, it's like, uh, I think that... I have a ton of admiration for people that do it. i'm definitely I'm not one of these sort of like cynical journalists who thinks everybody's in it for themselves. I've met so many people who are not uh, that that I think that's like a a counter nerve that isn't necessarily accurate. but um and it takes a lot to do it. but but for me, I felt like once I chose that path, that I would I, my the most important thing to me is to be perceived free of bias. and i and I thought if I, Um, if I decided ultimately to do something like that, that would be the end of journalism. And right now that's the career I want to pursue. And, and so I, and also at this point, I was saying to my dad the other day, I spend so much time sort of looking for the holes in everybody's arguments (laughs) that I don't even know like where I fall anymore. (laughs) I've like lost all sort of sense of, uh, of that kind of stuff that you do certainly know, you know, when you're growing up, it's like much murkier now.
1: You've got two sides, journalist, or you could have been a lawyer. We have a lot of mutual friends, and anyone that I talk to that talks about you just lights up. Uh, My colleague Jake, my colleague Janet Silver, and Janet just went on and on and on about how kind you are, how you mentored this little girl, you would bake with her on weekends, you would bring baking into the studio and just... What you see is what you get. And honestly, the admiration was palpable. So how how do you be so authentic and so kind when you've got such a demanding job? And and there is a lot of, uh, you talk about not being cynical, but there's probably a lot of things to be cynical about. How do you maintain Vashi at your core?
2: Well, that's such a nice question, first of all, and such a nice thing to tell me. Thank you. And thank you to Janet. Don't worry, your check's in the mail. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, we're all people, right? We're not just our careers. And uh, I've been so lucky to I mean, I'm not even sure how to answer that. I, I just have a wonderful life and I've been so lucky in my life and I have a wonderful family and I have great friends. And, you know, my, my, the, the girl that she was speaking of has become one of my good friends and she has a lovely family. And I don't know, I just feel, um, I, you know, again, I always sort of, grew up, like I played sports also. And I played. you know, I went to a band, a music school for playing saxophone. Like I love, you know, academia and I really enjoy my career, but I have a lot of other interests and I know the significance and the importance of having other stuff in your life and not being all about yourself and, uh, you know, not to keep harping on the same thing, but my, my parents provided that example for me as well. It's amazing.
0: Actually, the last time that I chatted with you was the day after the queen died yes it was also the first week that your son went to daycare
2: yes um, thank you for being so nice to me that day
0: (laughs) well I was I mean you know Jen and I are moms too we remember that week in fact I have a video of myself sobbing uncontrollably the first time I put my son on a bus to go to (gasps) school me too (laughs) we all get it tell us like how's he doing but how is it for you too to be balancing being a mom of a really little kid and a stepmom and doing this immense
2: job. Thank you for asking. You're so kind. You're 100% right in all the advice you gave me. It did get better and pretty quickly by the next week, I think. He was. He still cries when I leave him, but it takes like three seconds for him to be okay. And he's he's doing great there. Um, I mean, I, I, I wish I could ask you guys the question, because I think you're way more successful and you've obviously proven it can be done. I just feel like I'm still navigating it. To be honest, I was probably the, you know, besides leaving the team who I love, which I love so much at um, PNP, the other big consideration I had was, can I take a big job like this where you can't really say no, right? Like, it's not like you're going to sign up for a job like this and be like, you know what, I got to take Colin sick today because my kids got home from daycare. And that really weighed on me like this. um, Can I, at this point in my life, uh, try to do something like that uh, when there are like the realities of Mm -hmm. what happens. And and so, uh, you know, to be, to be honest, a lot of that involved, like a lot of kind of tough conversations with my husband about that. And the amount of, Uh, responsibility, he's willing to take on in that respect. And basically, what it comes down to is, you know, he he will have to sacrifice to see me achieve my dreams. And I'm really grateful that he's willing to do that. I'm really lucky that he's willing to do that. And we basically decided that we like, we kind of know the reality of what it's going to be. And we're going to try it. We're going to try it under the current structure of what we do with daycare and everything. And if we feel like it's working, great. If we feel like sort of my son Nick is at a disadvantage, then we'll reevaluate his own kind of career and that kind of thing. And again, I'm really lucky that that's that we've kind of come to an agreement on how that looks. And I really knew that we had to do that prior to me making any kind of decision. I still think it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult. There's a couple things for this like the shows go on hiatus over the summer, the TV portion of it. And then also I'm done at six instead of seven, which to the normal uh, average person would be like, what's the difference? But to um, anyone who's had a toddler, yeah. that's a, that's good. I get to see him at night now. And I, and I have not been able to uh, the whole time. Although I, I will say like, you know, CBC was amazing with me and I worked a four day week so that I would see him on Fridays because I couldn't see him Monday to Thursday. Um, so that's how I tried to achieve that balance there. Um, but at least now I'll be able to see him at night. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that makes a big difference, but yeah, it's like, it's super nerve wracking. I keep thinking, am I gonna like miss the next five years? Am I not gonna be there enough? But then I, again, start going back to my parents who worked so much and yet spent all their time outside of work with us. And I never once felt deprived of love or influence. Or, like, I, I never even thought, they never apologized to me. They never, I never heard my mom talking late at night being like, yeah. am I failing my kids? Right? Like, <laughs> You know, so I just sort yeah. of like check myself and I'm like, stop being, you know, just keep going, you know?
1: You're setting such a good example. And again, not not to bring it to me, but my mom was a lawyer and then a judge and had four kids. And again, similar to you was such a good example. And whenever I have mom guilt and I'm like, Oh, am I doing too much? Do I need to be at home more? I come to that. Like, what's the example? What's the work ethic? And Catherine's very much the same. So I think you're doing such a good job. And it's interesting because so many women that we speak to on this podcast have a supportive partner might this might not be the right thing to say from a feminist perspective, but there's such a common thread that there is a strong man or partner behind that individual supporting them. So without that, many have said that they wouldn't have progressed, they wouldn't have taken a position, they wouldn't have had that balance in their home life. So talk to me a little bit about your partner and kind of what that support means to you.
2: Well, it means everything to me. I'm really lucky. I met Frank later in my life. And he was also, we worked together at Global with Janet. um, And uh, he's 10 years older than me. He had two kids. It was like, in no way would I have anticipated this is how my life is going to play out. When I was like, hey, dad, I met a guy who has two kids. He's like, (laughs) what? Um, But everything like I would have associated with that kind of stereotype is so different than it's been like I fell in love. Like his kids are the most wonderful kids in the entire world. The addition of them to my life has been nothing but positive. Um, And uh, I think he, you know, the the good thing is when you meet a bit later in your life, you kind of know what you're getting in so far as I didn't have to pretend to be any, any less ambitious than I was. Uh, And he, he could see that at, at global, you know, I think when we met, I was a reporter in our Ottawa bureau there. And then through our relationship, I became, uh, the bureau chief there, the host of the West block there. And then, um, when CBC approached me about pharmacology, like he was right there for that too. So he knew that that's, you know, sort of what I wanted. Uh, he had not, he had no intention of having another kid. Like there's so many crazy things that happened and we really struggled to have the kid. We went through IVF and all that, you know, all that fun stuff. And he was, um, you know, I'm he. He really changed his life for me too, and he changed. Uh, you know, I don't think he pictured having a kid at 49, and he did it uh, for me. And he loves, you know, loves our son so much. And I, I just think that I just hit the lottery. You know, I, That's I did. Uh, yeah, he's um, he's worked a long career in media, and so his he feels differently. He's at the sort of last part of his career, right? which also like, I would have been like, Oh, a guy 10 years older. Oh boy. Like, but then that worked to, you know, yeah. again, that worked to my advantage and our advantage as well, because he's done everything. He's gone everywhere. He's done what he wanted to do with his career. So it isn't the top, you know, one of the top priorities in his life. Like he's a very hard worker. He's very good at what he does, but like, uh, you know, compared to me where I still see a ladder to climb, he's sort of, at a different stage. And so he has been able to throw, like, he took the last four months of my maternity leave as a paternity leave, and he spent all that time with Nick. And he, you know, he's the one that puts him to bed every night. Uh, there's just, it's just, um, it's like fortuitous. It ended up being very fortuitous, where initially, I mean, I had no intention of getting serious with him because I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, right. This like old dude with two kids, like, not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> but like how lucky I am, like I can't, you know, and I, and even when we were struggling with having, I had always wanted so many kids and it was hard to have just one. And I was like, okay, well, like, look how it worked out that I have two wonderful stepkids. So I'm not even, I mean, they have the most amazing mom. So I'm not like a substitute, but I get to enjoy that aspect of parenting, even if I weren't going to have my own. And then when I realized, well, I'm probably only going to have the one, like my, my son has the most amazing siblings and will never be alone because of this thing that I would have kind of, probably judge someone else for years ago, right? Uh, so so I'm really lucky that it just, like it all worked out for the best, really.
0: Vashi, you you have talked a lot about your parents and um, you're lucky to have had such an exceptional um, unit, right? Like a, a family, but also just role models in, in your mom and dad. Um, and you still have your dad, but you don't have your mom. Your, your mom, um, you lost your mom to cancer several years ago. I really can't imagine, especially given how close you were, how devastating that experience must have been for you and of course also for your entire family. But how did your mom's death affect how you approached your own life moving forward?
2: Well, nobody has ever asked me that, so thanks for asking it. Um, in a couple of ways, it was devastating. Like my, I have two younger sisters and we were, you know, joined to the hip with my mom. And she passed away really suddenly. She was diagnosed the May long weekend and she passed away by Labor Day. So it was sudden we, I was so lucky. I worked for Global then in Edmonton. I just started a job and they let me leave. And I spent, so I spent the whole three months uh, with her at home. I mean, part of it in the hospital, obviously, but also with my sisters. Uh, We all took leaves from what we were doing, school or work at that time and spent all that time with her, um, I'm not sure I've exactly figured out like how it changed my approach to life. I think I remember I moved back to Edmonton and I was like alone there and I just worked a lot to get through it. I I think, um, I think in, in sort of two, two ways, maybe, I think first of all, um, it did make me, and it sounds kind of weird to say, but like it did make me stronger in that, not stronger, more resilient. Uh, when you go through something that you would have, thought you could never get through, like your worst nightmare growing up, you know, would be to lose your mom. And then when it happens and you're able to keep going, I think um, it, 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 it it, it adds sort of like a a level of relativity to other challenges you faces you face rather. And so I felt more resilient. I think also it was tough because I remember in those first few years, you just didn't want to leave your house. Like you didn't want to go be social. You didn't want to make friends. And I was, like I said, I was alone in Edmonton with like what ended up being a wonderful group of people around me. And I kept being thinking, well, I just don't want to go out. But then I was thinking like, you're, you could die tomorrow. Like it, it, you become very morose a little bit in that way. And you sort of think you just have this, like, you're slapped in the face with the idea that your life can end so prematurely because my mom was only 63 and she, she had no symptoms. She was tired. That's it. She had moved me to Edmonton in April. She went to the doctor in May and two weeks later we found out she was going to die. So there, there was like no warning signs or something. So, so really it felt like a car crash or something, right? Where you're like, you, you, you just, you lose your sense of immortality completely, but there is through time, like a positive part of that in that, like I say yes to everything pretty much. And that has actually persisted throughout the 12 years since that happened. I started doing it when I was in Edmonton. And as a result, like I made some of the best friends I've ever had, because I had said yes, and I would go out and so, to, to whatever degree I could. And then that kept going. And so I'm, I'm still very similar. Like I, I love being out. I love talking to people. I, I didn't lose my ambition, like all these things that that i would have thought would have collapsed that sense of loss for your for your own sense of like the idea that you, you're you're not immortal that really imparted like a change in attitude i think on me going forward so i think those are the two good ways i mean there's there's a few negative ways too in that you're just always worried about dying to be honest it's something that really kind of bugs me and it's hard to navigate at times and i'm way better with my own health like i don't assume everything's you know, something terrible anymore. But I when I had my son, I was like, you know, it took I had that sort of high level of anxiety, I I didn't have postpartum or anything. But like, just the idea this playing out if something bad happened to him, because when like I said, when your worst fear happens, then you realize, Oh, my God, this is such an even worse fear. And that could happen too. And it took me like, I would say like eight months to kind of not have those feelings anymore.
1: Is there something specific from your mom, and not tangible, intangible, that you carry with you that kind of supports you mentally or emotionally?
2: I hope so. I mean, I think about her all the time. This week actually was like the, it, I mean, I'm sure you can relate. When the big stuff happens, it's like the hardest that that she's not there. And she also like invested so much in my career. Like she believed in me very much. When I started in Swift Current, and I was so afraid that I would never get a job, and like her belief in me was like unwavering. So I just keep thinking like she would be, you know, my dad was also like that obviously. I remember we were in Swift current, we were visiting your basement apartment, you made $430 a week. Like your mom, (laughs) your
0: mom would be losing her
2: mind right now. And so this week has been, you know, I've been thinking about her a lot in that context. So my mom was like, no, not like the warmest, sweetest, most loving person. And you would not know it if you came across her, you'd be like, this woman is like means business. She took no crap yeah. from anyone. So actually she is the person I channel the most in my career, like in my job function, like in, in particular, when I'm doing accountability or interviewing people, because she was a wonderful, nice, kind person. She stayed true to herself, but like part of who she was, like she had She was not like these politicians, females especially, who worry about being liked. She could care less who liked her. Like, when I was dealing with all the hatred online and everything that used to get to me, like, she's who I thought of because she would never care. Like, she just, she had, well, and my dad is like that to a degree, too. Like, they just, they have their own moral guideposts. They're very um, clearly identified and sometimes over the top about them, too. I'll say really, But like, they don't worry. They She never worried what other people thought. And she was a doer. Like, uh, you know, she, she, like you could give her any task. I mean, she, she made my dad's business and, you know, whatever he, empire he built, like she built it with him and she made it run and she got things done and she got everything done at the house. And like, she just never She didn't sit there and think about it and like, you know, she's just a doer and she had a really um, difficult life growing up. She immigrated from Germany right after the second world war escaped from Germany. Actually, her parents and her, like, you know, were massive amounts of poverty, like, you know, didn't speak the language right after the world war. So she was targeted at school, like thrown rocks at her or whatever. And she just was like a tough, a tough broad. That's how she, her friends to call her. (laughs) But like I said, like, you know, people used to describe her as the queen. We grew up in Danforth, the queen of the Danforth in Toronto. Like she just, she only stopped at local businesses because she's like, I'm not, I'm only supporting local business. She would give like, there's no charity that would come to her that she wouldn't give money to. She would give you the shirt off her bag, but like she also didn't take any crap. And probably there's nobody more in my life actually that I do try to channel. And even like when I get, you know, like I said to you, how I was like, Oh, am I going to miss parts of his life? Like, again, I'm like, my mom was not sitting there at night being like, "Eh, eh, eh." she just like spent all (laughs) her time she could with us. And yeah, like she just, she, 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 she is somebody I think of all the time in those things, especially as I get into these stages of my life and this part of my career, because it's a little different when you're in your twenties. Right. And now I, I, I feel like I'm at a point where I remember how she was at this, at this point in her life. And so, it's easy to try and invoke it. I wish I, I I wish I could be even half the person she was in all those respects.
0: I love that. You talked about channeling her when you get some of the pushback and some of it is, is pretty awful. And, and I know we're, we're wrapping up our conversation because we're conscious of your time too, but um, boy have women in media taken a lot of aggression and violent language and just really horrible comments. How have you established walls around yourself that allow you to block that out?
2: Well, I'm, I'm super glad you asked that because I hope there are some of them listening um, that I can help a little bit because I've been through the gamut. And I'll preface all of this by saying, look, there's people in way less privileged positions who get a, a lot worse attacked. And I'm, I'm cognizant of that. Um, I have a, a, an easier path than a lot of people. And I, I'm in no way like a, you know, a, uh, the most authoritative, authoritative subject or person on this, on this, but I will say that it is the, it was the hardest part of starting my new job. And, um, like my old job, I should say when it was new and it was like, it was, I was inundated, uh, with it. And it was about everything, right. The way I looked, the way I spoke, my intellectual capacity, you name it. Um, and I have gone from a place five years ago where I would come home, crying, um, literally crying, and just feel so worn down to nothing. Like it does not and I'm being I'm being transparent. I am not affected by it at all. The, the key change I made when I left on my mat leave, um, I, I got off Twitter. Um, and prior to that, I had muted my own mentions. So I kind of use it as I still do a little bit like use it as like a wire service. But I I just don't read what people say. And it has, you know, I, I, mean, I still get emails. I still get lots of stuff, but it's way less vitriol. Um, and I just don't care. I don't know how to say, I, I don't know how else to convey it other than to mom. say, yeah, I feel like I've actually, whereas like I tried for a while to be like that, I've now really genuinely become it. And, um, uh, I think the the key for me was removing myself from a lot of it. And it's interesting because a lot of news organizations now, as organizations, are pursuing that as a strategy, sort of moving away from the more vitriolic platforms. Um, and there's nothing that says we have to be on them. Like, I don't know what kind of fame and glory I was looking for. Who cares? Like, <laughs> even if 40,000 people hate me, it's a country of 35 million you know what i mean like it's not no i don't have to be like you know what i mean at the end of the day i want to be respected and i want to treat people well um and i I would die if someone said she treated me terribly uh in that job or she was you know a bad person that's different but like people that don't know me who've never worked with me i mean yeah so i i hope that anyone who's listening who's enduring that uh feels like it's okay to remove yourself the advantage The advantages you will have and the benefits of doing so far, far outweigh any disadvantages.
1: I think that's really good advice. You've talked about the importance of humility in terms of how you do your job. And I found that really interesting because being humble, leaving ego behind is not something you hear a lot of people talk about. Why do you think humility is such an important tool?
2: I think for a couple of reasons. In the past, I've spoken about it or invoked it in the the, like, cur- cur- sort of the path you take in your career and and where you end up starting. So I feel like, especially in journalism, and you and both can speak to this, I'm sure, like, this idea that you're going to start at the top of the mountain um, is naive, I think, at best. Um, and I'm a big believer that you shouldn't, that you should work your way up. Uh, and, and so when I talk about humility, often I'm, I'm saying, like, be humble, go do, you know, I worked in Swift Current. I shot my own stuff. I edited it. I covered Steak sizzler Luncheons. I covered the Saskatoon Berry Festival on the weekend. And I realized very early on, even though like, I remember thinking, oh, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm too good for this. I just got a master's. I want to be talking about politics. And like, it was ridiculous. I, I was terrible on air. I was a terrible writer. I, there were so many things to the profession that I had to learn. And I could only do that through experience. And so I very quickly, I think, pivoted and realized I'm going to throw myself. So like I made the best damn Saskatoon Berry story you could ever see. And learned I learned how to write creatively and write to pictures and shoot really good pictures. And like I I learned a host of new skills by checking my ego at the door. And so I have, I hope, employed that throughout. I think that uh, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to have a big ego to be successful in this business. I don't think you you need to, I think you need to be confident in what you do. You need to prepare, over-prepare if you can, so that that confidence doesn't come from a vacuous place. But other than that, I, I don't think you should feel entitled to anything. Like, I feel like that's what, that's why I say, I always say yes. Like I, I still feel like I have to work my butt off and I don't think I'll ever not Feel that way I would be I would be shocked if I did I feel like something was off if I did I know I have to earn it all um and so I I like I said that lesson came to me very very early in my career and I I hope it's I, I feel like it has certainly stayed with me throughout
0: okay Vashi we have saved what is perhaps our most important question for last okay it is to ask you whether it is true that your favorite singer of all time is Celine Dion Oh, not only
2: true, but yes, <laughs> a thousand percent. I hope that's okay. Yes, I'm like the world's number one Sweet Beyond fan, obsessed. We, we again, also connected to my family because, and uh, this, this reason will, will help people, I hope, make less fun of me. So my dad is Greek, and he always listened to Greek music, and my grandparents lived in London, Ontario, so we would always drive once a month from Toronto to London. The first English music we were permitted to listen to, as my, my sisters and I in the back seat... On that drive was Celine Dion. We didn't know who she was. We didn't know anything about it. Like, we were very young and we became obsessed with her. And then as a family, we went to the CNE when we were like, I don't know, 10 years old, 8, 10, 12, maybe all three of us. My sisters and I are two years apart with my parents and watched a Celine Dion concert when like she had just started. And then we went to see her in Vegas when we were all in our 20s with our parents as well. <laughs> so fun. We're- we're like family hardcore fans so yeah i love her every time i hear her i like think i think of all those wonderful memories and plus she's like the greatest singer ever so (laughs) i love that that's your last question
1: you're so refreshing you're so honest you're so authentic and we're just so proud Uh, of you and what you're doing for honestly women everywhere and how you're just true to yourself we both admire you so much uh so thank you for being with us today and thank you for being on the honest talk it's such a pleasure
2: oh it was my pleasure i can't believe two people like you the two of you would admire me like that's like the nicest thing i've ever heard and i certainly feel the same way about both of you thank you very much for having me and for such great questions i appreciate it
0: That's a wrap. And thank you to our wonderful listeners across Canada and around the world for joining us. If you'd like to listen to previous
1: episodes, you can subscribe to The Honest Talk wherever you get your podcasts, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our website, thehonesttalk.ca.
0: Finally, a big thank you to our sponsor, RBC, which offers digital-first solutions, advice, and services that go beyond banking to help you realize your true potential. And that's what this podcast is all about. You can find more info at rbc.com slash business. But for now, stay healthy and
1: stay safe. And we truly look forward to having you back soon for more of The Honest Talk.